Hey Alexa, what's the definition of hustle? To be aggressive, especially in business or other financial dealings. You're listening to the H for Hustle podcast, designed to inspire future entrepreneurs to take the leap from working for someone else to pursue their passions and side hustles and turning them into full-fledged businesses. My name is Jerome Fenton. I'm a serial entrepreneur. Every week, I'll be speaking with an entrepreneur that has taken that leap. We'll be talking about the lessons they've learned and how they've turned their passions and side hustles into full-fledged businesses. H for Hustle Podcast, welcome back. Another illustrious episode up ahead. And on today's episode, we have Nana Awusu Chow, the founder of Agro Kings. And this is one of my favorite episodes, I'm going to call it right now, of 2022, because this story is really fascinating. Because Nana is in Ghana, Africa, when we were creating, when we were recording this call. Um, that's where his business is. And, you know, to learn about him building his company in a developing nation is really interesting because it comes with its own set of limitations, its own set of headaches, and its own set of benefits. And it's quite different from navigating the American business landscape. A lot of it he has to kind of create on his own. Um, and it's very interesting to see how he's been able to do that and been able to maneuver this company in the direction he has and you know again it's one of the most fascinating stories that i've had so far of 2022 i don't want to waste too much time let's get into the episode right now h russell podcast welcome back uh we have another great guest on today we have nana Awusu Chow um, from AgroKings. Nana, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. So um, if I was to meet you uh, randomly, what would you say you do for a living? <laughs> um, well, it depends on what day you chose to meet me. Um, <laughs> it's a Wednesday, so Wednesday. <laughs> yes. Um, I find myself in the season of my life where I would call myself a farmer. Okay. Um, that hasn't always been the case, but if you met me any time after the pandemic, um, I'll probably call myself a farmer. Okay. And if I was to meet you before the pandemic, what would you have called yourself? Um, a, an entrepreneur, maybe. Okay. A business guy. Okay. Prior to that, I was a, a major part of what I used to do was real estate. And so I would have probably called myself a developer. Um, and that's what most people knew me for. Um, since the pandemic, um, we have taken that agricultural wing more seriously, and and and, and since I've, I've I've taken pride in calling myself a farmer, also because I'm trying to help redefine what it means to be called a farmer. Got it. And farming is also one of the oldest professions in the world, and ultimately, I think everyone is a farmer at some point because you have to lay seeds down uh, and yep. grow them over time. You know, so I think. Yep. Everyone is, like you said, everyone in a season in their life is a farmer at some point or another. Mm. Um, Good way so, to look at it. So now, as you guys can hear, the audience, we're talking to the audience right now, as you guys can hear, he has an accent. So you're, I'm calling you and we're having a conversation. And you're from what part of Africa are you in right now? So I'm in Ghana, which is from West, West Africa. West Africa. Um, so I'm in a small, um, the capital city in Accra, and from Ghana and West Africa. 
Got it. Now, the reason why I wanted to talk to you is because I read this article a few months back that says um, Africa is one of the second largest growing economies, it's the fastest, the second fastest growing economy in the world. Um, and there's just a ton of growth in tech and agriculture. Um, so why did you choose not technology to go into? Why not? Because it's becoming such a big tech hub. Why agriculture? It's such a, again, like you said, an old type of business. Right. Um, in fact, uh, funny enough, my, my, my training in, in college was actually in tech. So I did study computer science and information systems in university mm-hmm. with a minor in business. Um, but getting back into, into Ghana, into Africa, there are, there are fundamental problems we need to solve before we start solving some of our tech problems. Um, because, like you said, Africa is one of the growing um, economies in the world. Um, but, but beyond that, we also have the largest and the fastest growing population in the world. So over 50, 50% of the population is still under 19 years old. Mm-hmm. And so we do have a pretty and fairly young population in there. And I think we are the youngest in, in, in the world at the moment. And so I realized quite quickly that food and, and food security is going to be one of the major challenges for, for us as a continent moving forward. And that is part of what has influenced my decision to do more agriculture. Now, I have not taken out the technology part of this because we do infuse quite a bit of technology in what we do, even on the agriculture side. And maybe we'll talk a little bit more about what that would mean. Um, But I've, I've come to view technology more as an enabler than as a, a, a product or a business in and of itself. Got it. It's it's so you think of it more as an aid, like it helps whatever the the product and the business yeah. is. Got it. Exactly. All right. So let's go back. Let's go back. Uh, you said you studied science information systems. So you went to college. From what my reading, you went to college, and then you went to college in the states as well, right? Yeah. So I went to college in the U.S. Um, okay. Specifically in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Ooh. Um, Ooh, that's so cold coming from Africa. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I did go to um, Calvin College, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, and I was there till 2012. Um, I had opportunities to stay there, but then I decided to rather move back um, and try to help build out uh, my my country and in in, in in return on my continent. Yeah. So why was that? Because most people get the opportunity to come here, they stay here, and then they like you know like my parents did. They bring their family here, right? They don't go back and build where they're from. What was the thing in your mind that says you know let me go back and let me build where I'm from? I think I think that I've had I've always had a fundamental belief in in in, in the fact that there's a reason why we were born where we were born, um, whether it's for experiences that we gain, um, or whether it's for a particular problem that we're supposed to solve. I think um, I fundamentally have a mindset that we we each have a purpose, or there's a there's a there's a much bigger or greater reason why we we exist, and so that that I think has had always been somewhere in the recesses of my mind. Um, and I realized very quickly that most of my mentor visits, so I have this idea that whenever I'm about to enter into a particular field, I spend quite a bit of time with people who have gone ahead of me. Um, and so I spoke to other people who have been in the U.S. for a while, people who had, because um, I did get a job on Wall Street, um, I figured out there were people who had been there um, for a while. And I realized most of them had the, the idea I had, which is let's work here for a while, let's make some money, and then let's move back to our respective countries. And I realized oftentimes that wasn't happening. 
that often happened when they turned 40 or 55 or yeah. almost 60. Yeah, and it's they almost move like back a re- to retire. It's, yeah, it's, and they don't have the same energy or gumption that they had exactly. when they were younger. Okay. Exactly. And then thinking through that, I could re- I could understand why that was the case because you know you're done with college, and before you know it, you have a girlfriend. Before you know yeah. it, so you know, let's just get married. Once I get married, I'll move back. Then you have kids, and you're like, you know what? Let our kids grow up in a better country or in a better place. And then before you know it, you're like, okay, let them finish school. And then before you know it, you just live your whole life outside there. So yeah. I guess my my thought process at the time was, look, if I'm going to, if I intend to move back eventually, I might as well move back now um, and get started. And hopefully when my friends wanted to move back, I would have already gained some experience and then I'll help them to actually move back. So this was my thought process at the time. Got it. So that's when you went back and you weren't thinking about Agro Kings at the time. You went back to do no. real estate, correct? Yep. So yep. in fact, I went back looking for a job. So for someone coming from the financial services side, so coming back from Wall Street, I just wanted a job that was good paying. I wanted a good paying job because I'm leaving, you know, a potential opportunity for a lot of money and then and, and moving to Ghana. So I wanted like something that would at least um, help help me feel a little better or help me feel more worthwhile or help me feel like my college education was worth, was worth something. Yeah. So I was just looking for a good paying job. Um, I did land one with the big four um, consulting firms, i.e. PricewaterhouseCoopers. Okay. Um, PwC. I did land a job there and then later realized, nah, I think it's better. I'd rather help my dad build out his business. And so I, I, I keep saying that I was now making in a month working with my dad what I'd have probably made in a day working in Wall Street. And, but for me, it was all about the things I had to learn because I, like, I had committed to wanting to be back in Africa. I recognized that the opportunities in Africa were so many. And for someone who grew up in Africa, you know, traveled quite a bit and was now coming from the US, having gained the education, there were a lot of opportunities I could see all around me. And so a decision to be in Africa was, was certain I was just not sure what exactly I wanted to do. Got it. So by finding a job that was paying me significantly less than what I would have made in the U.S. took a bit of adjusting. Mm-hmm. But I think that um, um, I, had, I had a much bigger vision, vision in mind. And so it yeah. allowed me to be able to sail through and get through that. Got it. So was it more of an adjustment on your ego? Like, oh, I gave up such a high paying job. I could have sent this type of money back home in a month time versus um, what you were actually making. Was it like an ego check or were you like, okay, I'm here to learn experiences. Don't worry about the money. Yeah, I think was, I, I don't think it was as much an ego check as it was a, a reality check because, you know, here you are, you've, you, you're done with university, you and all your, your mates that are done. They could tell how, how, how you were in school the kind of person you were. And then some of them are deciding to travel to places like Jamaica. People are traveling to, you know, the Maldives. And, you know, people are having all these fun experiences. But my salary does not allow for that to happen. (laughs) Okay, got it. Right. So those were more of the reality checks I was having. But again, I do think that I always knew, look, the opportunities I have here, whenever it was time for them to make investments, because I I had a lot of friends who were in very good, well-paying jobs in the U.S. And so I knew that at some point when they've made all this money, they will look for opportunities to make investments. So I always had the, the goal that how, how about I build a company that one day when these people wanted to make investments, they'll look out for people like me. Got and it. I think that's, those are some of the things that allowed me to sail through that um, season of, of my reality check. Got it. Okay. So with your dad, what kind of real estate were you doing? Was it commercial? Was it land? What kind of real estate was it? 
So my dad, my dad used to do the entire, he was literally a real estate developer from land acquisition to construction to sales. So we acquired the land, we built out those lands, we put houses on them, and then we sold those um, properties. Got so it. We're, we're, in the entire, we're in the entire value chain. Got it. So how long did you stay with your dad? Because you eventually went <laughs> off and did your own real estate thing, right? Yeah. A couple months actually. Um, so I moved back to Ghana first of I'm yeah, I moved back to Ghana first August 2012. Um, when I moved back, I started working with him maybe after about two or three weeks after I had done my PWC testing out and I realized I didn't want to be there. Um, so I started working with him sometime in August or, or September. Um, by March of 2013, I have started my own. So what happened was when I moved back, I was working for my dad as a business development manager, mm-hmm. which meant my job was really to execute on stuff that, you know, the board had set to do, um, you know, the CEO had set to do, um, find new and better ways of building and stuff like that. Now, what I realized was happening was here I was as a young graduate with all this tech experience coming in and telling them how they could do this better or how could they, they could use this different type of technology to build. Now, my dad, who had been in the industry for about 25 years at the time, is like, dude, like I've been doing this for a while, you know, you're a kid, relax. So I felt like we kept butting heads a lot. Mm-hmm. So between September and March, they were butting heads. I was doing a lot of, I was preparing myself to do things in a certain way that I thought was better to was a better way of going about it. So I found a different way to do construction work. I, I, I thought that there was a different way to hire in terms of how people executed on the projects that we're building out, how we marketed our products um, and things like that. So I had a bit of experience under my belt. So I had a friend who just said, hey, Nana, could you come with me to go check out the property because she was going to get married and she wanted a place to stay. So she thought, hey, since you're in the property business, how about you go show us how about you go with us to go see the place you want to um, purchase? And when I got there, I was like, no way. Like, this place is so far out from town. The price point they're giving you is too high. Um, I think I could give you better value for money. Now, I thought all these things because I had gained some experience already working with my dad. And so I have, I have thought about a way to build cheaper and to build better quality. Got it. So I, 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 I just threw it out. I was like, hey, you know what? I'll give you a better property in a better location at this same price. And then she said, okay, I'll go let my dad know. And then she let her dad know about that. And then that is a pretty high profile person in the country. So the dad, I was a little like, you know, nervous, but I go, I go out to the dad. I go out to meet the dad. Um, he calls me for a meeting to, to discuss what I was proposing. And he said, look, you know what? I don't typically do this, but I'll take a chance on you. Um, which he did. And that day he decided to count my first um, $49,800. And then that was, that was the start of our real estate, my own real estate business. So I then went back to my dad and let my dad know, hey, you know what, I'm going to have to start, I'm going to try to start my own real estate business. He was not particularly happy about that. And he didn't think I'll be able to pull it off. Um, but yes, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful for all the experiences and where I am today. Got it. So he was, was your dad thinking, cause I, it's tough working with you, with your family, but um, was he thinking, man, you're taking business away from the company. We could have done the same exact work you're going to go out and do. No. In fact, I never told my dad what I had gotten. Oh. The first project I got to build out, I actually bought the land for my dad because for some reason, sometimes our parents continue to see as the children that we were 
when we were born. Mm-hmm. And so his concern was, Nana, some of the issues you have with the way I do things or how I run my business or some of the people that you think I need to fire, you just need to be a little bit more patient because being in Ghana and being in Africa is a little different than being in the U.S. This was uh, his thought. Got it. So it wasn't, it wasn't as much about me taking away business. It was more so I had identified a different way to do work and I wanted to try, try that way out. Mm, okay. and, and, and so I told him that, hey, you know what? I'm going to move away and I will be doing my own thing. So do not expect me in the office 24-7. Um, however, I'm always available to help you if you needed any help in anything that you were doing. Got so it. if you needed me to go check out a project type or you know, go assess something or you wanted to run, you wanted me to run an errand, that's fine. But I was going to go try to start something, something on my own. Got it. So you get that 49,000, you're now tasked with helping your friend get a house, right? Um, yep, build this yep. house. You get the land and you build the, do you get to build the house out? Does she look currently? I live do in build the house? house. Okay. Yes. So I do, I do build the house. And the great part about it is, like I said, her father was a very high profile um, um, person in the country. He lived in like the most expensive address in Ghana, um, which is Trasaco Valley. They have the most expensive um, properties on, on in the country. Probably. It's, like, it's like Beverly Hills of, 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 of Exactly, Ghana. exactly. So um, property there uh, on average, you know, 1.5 to $3 million um, um, dollars, um, for, for five bedroom houses. And so um, I took that, I, I, I built it out in the six month period. So first of all, I delivered on time, but that did not come easy. I had to work day and night. Um, most times when it was raining, I'll turn on my car's headlights and then I'll keep the team on site and I will try to build out the house. So to, it was a lot of hard work, Got it. Um, but it did pay off eventually. We did money to deliver the house in six months and it was on time enough for, for the lady to get married and still be able to move into the house. But the best part for me and, and, and the person I hired, so when I got the money, one of the first things I did was so I also hired somebody. Um, I hired somebody almost immediately. Um, and that person has worked with me for since then till now. Um, mm. And that guy I hired, one of the big moments for us was when this high, when this high net worth guy walks into the property and then he says, he says to his wife, after he had done the inspections, like this is really good. And he told his wife, hey, how about we move out of our house and come stay here for two weeks before his daughter moves in? And that for us was a very big compliment because it meant he thought our house was, was worth him living in, even though he's, he's living in one of the most expensive addresses. So that was a very good validation for us Got it. Um, around you know, how we were doing things and how we thought um, we could actually um, do things better than what I had seen when I moved back. Got it. And then that theory that you had in your head of how to build it faster, cheaper, better. Yep. Did did yep. you got to test it? Did it work out, or did you see what your it, dad was saying as well? It did. It did work out perfectly. In fact, apparently, and people tell me this: the entire time I was building out this property because I bought the land for my dad. My dad didn't believe I had the money or the resources to buy land that expensive, because the land I bought to build this property on cost me approximately a hundred thousand dollars, and so. My dad, first of all, did not believe where's my son going to get that kind of money. So <laughs> some of his friends and people around said, that project is being built out by your son. But he never believed it. And men as men as we are, he never also came to ask me directly that, hey, Nana, are you the one building that house? Um, now, up and while the house was going up, I used a different technology to build. 
while it was going up, everybody in the area was laughing. They were like, look, are you guys kidding me? Because their material looked like styrofoam. You know, mm. that white, white material that is either um, around the TV set when you buy one. Yeah, yeah. That's it's, what it's, it's, it looks like this hard styrofoam, but it's mostly installation. Exactly, exactly. So what I was using was actually called an insulated concrete form. Yeah. So it looked like that, and it just allowed me to pour concrete in it. Yeah. So he also kept the, the house cool and stuff. So my dad and all his friends and stuff seeing that were like, look at that guy building a house using what we use for what we what we use to what, <laughs> what covers our TV sets. So I was like a laughing stock for a while. But then as I continued to build it out, they realized that look, I was actually being serious about what I was doing. And so I guess eventually my dad never approached me about it. But a lot of his friends later came back and said, Hey, you know what? Every time my dad comes to this. Um, real estate um, community he always takes clients to your house or to your building um and one day one of them sent me a video of my dad walking through my property but my dad never told me um, <laughs> about that particular property even till now <laughs> oh yeah. man african dads and jamaican dads sound very much alike <laughs> there you go mine was no mine was no exception <laughs> he's never gonna give you the credit but he's never gonna nope. not he's never gonna not like use it in his benefit either <laughs> exactly he's gonna let he's gonna tell his friends yeah, but never uh, you. while they get a hangout but never yeah. me yeah <laughs> got it so, so after, after you get that first client you build that first house and the great part is you had one of the you know a, a very affluent and wealthy person um who mm -hmm. is also influential did that lead to other homes being built it did it did okay. i think about two months since i started of course as people were laughing at me some people were intrigued by what i was doing and i think that has always been or helped to my benefit so before that, that project was completed, I already had about two other projects that um, had lined up and they wanted me to use the same technology of building to build those projects out, um, which eventually worked out pretty well. And then even this affluent man also then got me a different contract. So he introduced me to some of his friends to do some of their building projects for them. So since that first project I got, I never ran out of um, um, real estate projects till today. Got it. So that, that uh, insulated styrofoam, um, was that something you picked up when you were in the States or was it something you picked up during your research? No. Yeah, just while I was in Ghana. You see, because I was, I guess because I was young and, you know, growing up in the U.S., in Ghana, everybody builds using block. And, yeah, um, bricks. Block work, concrete. Mm -hmm. Yes. Now, because I've come to the U.S. and I've seen all these other ways of building, I was never so tied to that. Um, and so when I met this team that said, hey, you know, this is another type of building, I always believe that there must be an, an improved or better way of building. So these ICF blocks seem to look like they'll be cheaper and they'll be a lot faster. And that was why I was willing to try them out. But the, the company actually came from the UK, but they were in Ghana at the time I was, I, I engaged them. Got it. So that concrete, that's, it's just something you kind of lay down and then you pour concrete in it and it becomes where the concrete sits, but it, cre it creates an insulation for the house. So it keeps it cooler and then it, it gives off a little heat. So it looks, it looks like a concrete, it looks like a, a Lego block. Mm -hmm. So you, you kind of stack the Lego blocks up about, um, um, let's say about a meter or, or two. Mm -hmm. And then you pour the concrete in the middle of it. So the, the, it's like the Lego block is like a little hollow. And so once you stack them up, you just pour concrete in the middle and then it's insulated on the left and on the right with this um, um, styrofoam looking material. 
Got and then you just you just finish that up with um, um, sand sandcrete um, to, to just give it a, an external finish. And Got in it. Ghana, we don't really have cold weather. So it's mainly to keep the house cool. Cool, got it. As opposed to it being cold. Got it. And it came out a lot more cost effective. And yes. how, how yes. because the construction workers are also a thing, right? Because they're so used to one specific way. Did you have yeah. to get the workers like on board for this new thing? Or did they kind of were like, all right, whatever you say we'll do? No, so I got the workers from the company that were selling the blocks to me. Okay, got so it. So in fact, even for that company. I was, I was a very big deal for them because they used, because I was one of the first people to believe in them. If I, I was the first person who they had used my, they, I was the first person's house they built since they came into the country. Got it. So they were also using my project to showcase what they are able to do. Got it. So you were the flagship. So both of you yep. guys were, you guys were both new in the country and trying each other out. Yep. Got it. All right. That's awesome. So then you start growing and developing. Um, mm-hmm. how, how do you then go from real estate to then agriculture? Where does the transformation, how does the shift happen? <laughs> so, um, um, great, great, great question. Um, when I moved, um, while, while I continued to grow, I, I was gaining quite a bit of a, a name in this space because again, I have since immediately, I, I do a lot of work with container units. So I now use shipping containers to build houses. And that's what we even have on our farm at the moment. Um, I'm so, I was so, I'm, so of, fa- I'm so fascinated with that, by the way. I'm, I've been talking to my dad about that in Jamaica. Like, there's such containers just sitting around. And then there's shipping containers that are just sitting on the, the ports. And I'm like, there's... Yep. I watch videos on YouTube of people building, like, two-story homes with this. I'm like, there's got to be a way to use this. And I, I don't have the vision for it yet. But, like, I'm happy that you're saying you're using it. Because I would love to see what that actually looks like. Um, yeah, outside, yeah. outside of, like, the United States. Yeah. So I am, I am actively using that. So, so at some point there was a, there was a, 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 a there was a man, a, a political, uh, political guy who, who had traveled to um, Dubai mm-hmm. and had gone to spend some time at a resort um, that required you to take a speedboat to an island and then you live out in a chalet. Mm-hmm. Um, so when he came back to Ghana, he was thinking, we have a lot of water around Ghana and there are different islands. Why don't we look for a similar project and then build chalets out there? And then his, his thinking was people will be able to drive out to a certain location. They'll get on a boat and then go to this um, island and they can live out there for a couple of days. So he got in touch with me and then we came over to a certain township that has water, which is where my rice, uh, my rice farm is Mm -hmm. so we came out there and then we met with the chief in the area to take us to an island where we could execute on this project um the chief when we were returning from so we went on this island really nice place apparently supposed to be the biggest island in west africa so he takes us out there we take we take a a canoe a wooden canoe to the island Mm -hmm. and we go survey and when we get back we're about to head back again it's like oh you know what guys let me give you some rice that the people in my town produce, which is um, the Akusi Township. So he gives me like a 25 kilo bag of rice. And then he gives my other partner the same thing. Um, and then I get home and I try it and it's really good. So I was like, this is really good. And this is made in Ghana. So here I am like super fascinated by this project, by this rice. And I'm like, I never knew we could produce this kind of rice. So I stopped 
buying the imported rice that I used to buy. Yeah. Uh, and, and then I, I told, um, I came back following up on the same project and when my rice got finished and I asked the guys like, hey, Charlie, can you give me some of that rice again? Then he does. But this time, the rice didn't taste as good as the first one I got. So then I called him. I was like, wait, what's the difference? Because it doesn't taste the same way. Then he says, oh, to produce that kind of quality is a little bit more expensive. And so the people in the town don't always have that kind of money. So then I said, look, I'm willing for the quality that I enjoyed then. What is the difference in producing that kind of quality and this kind of quality? And the difference was about $150 at the time. So I said, hey, you know what? Find me some farmers. I will pay that difference and then get the quality of rice that I tried the last time. And that's kind of how I got into agriculture. Got it. So you, you weren't even looking at it as a business. You're just looking at it as a consumer. Yes. At, okay. at, at this stage, though, I must say that I have always, I had heard earlier on around Africa was using less than 10% of our arable land. So we're using less than 10% of the land that, you know, could be used. Mm-hmm. And I had had a meeting with some, some gentleman from South Africa a while back who had said it's criminal for Africa to import, to import anything or to import any kind of food because of how rich the soil we have is. Yeah. So these things have just always been in the recesses of my mind. So I guess I had tried out some maize production. It didn't work out too well because the person I put in charge of it just didn't take very good care of it. I had tried um, cattle rearing. Um, so I had about 16 cows and that didn't also go very well because the person I put in charge of it wasn't making it work. But at this point, so I had always, I've had this long-term idea of doing something in the agri space. But at this point, when I decided to make this decision, it wasn't in line with that. It was just in line with just consuming locally manufactured good products. Got it. So, because most of the time, when the rice that we eat most, because I'm in the States, most of the rice comes from China or India, like usually. Um, That's where most of the rice comes from based off of their lands and, yeah, their lands and how the water systems kind of work there. Um, So once you tried it and you said, all right, I'll pay the difference. Do you then, how much times do you eat that rice before you say, I got an idea on my hands? So actually, so what happened was I, I grew that one first. Um, I thought I'll just get a, a couple. And then what I decided to do was when, um, so when we produce, of course, they produce a lot more than what I could consume in my own yeah. household. Yeah. Yeah. But the people who had helped me had said, and I don't worry, once you produce this kind of quality, people will definitely come and buy. So the idea was, okay, I'll produce enough for myself, and then I'll sell the difference and then I'll repeat the process. Now, the person who came to purchase the rice from us didn't pay us immediately she came to the rice and she was going to go sell the rice in the market and then bring me the money after she sold oh, in about so two weeks to a right. month it was like a consignment so i was type like of thing. so i was like no way like if she's going to go with like why don't i go to the market myself and cut her so out I then as a told middle them, person Exactly. So I then told them, the, the, the guys are like, oh, no, no, you, you don't have the time to do that. You're a very busy person and blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, trust me. In this day and age, I will do what I need to do. <laughs> so um, I decided to take some of the rice back from her and try to package it and sell it. Got so it. what I did is I posted it online on my WhatsApp status. And I said, um, I posted it like on WhatsApp and on Instagram saying, um, Hey, rice for sale. I tried it. And, and in two hours, I sold out all my 35 bags I had bought. 
Wow. So then I realized, oh, there may be something here. Got That's it. That's how. Uh, and when you said package, happened. you're not talking about like fancy packaging. You're talking about just no, basic, no. basic Trust bags. Me, when, you, when you go online and you search Nana's rice, you may be able to see some of the old packaging. It was in like, it was in a, a simple sack. It was, um, in fact, the printing of Nana's rice on that pack will peel off if you try to just use your hand to rub it. That's how, that's how bad it was. Um, and, and it was, it was, it was, it wasn't a whim because what happened was I was, I was driving back from the farm when I had met this middle woman who said she was not going to pay me immediately. And I just put online, I was like, I just put on Instagram that, Hey, I'm just coming back from the farm. You know, this has been an interesting journey. We may just even produce our own rice because through the process, I was posting a little bit about it. Mm-hmm. So I just said, um, you know, we may just even come out with our own rice brand. What do you think we should call it? Um, because some people assume that it's called Nana's Rice because my name is Nana. It's not the case. In fact, it's, if I wish I was not called Nana, just so that I could help promote Nana's Rice. Um, because what, so people, people began to call it like King's Rice because what I wanted is I wanted a product that could go anywhere in the world and everybody would know that this product came from Ghana. Got it. That was one of my requirements because I felt like if this rice was this good and I've been, I've traveled the world. So if I've tried rice and it's this good, that means what stopped this rice from being on the shelves in Netherlands or in Holland or wherever else? Yeah. Um, so we're very big on how about one day, we had this dream that how about one day this rice was seen on the shelves somewhere, somewhere else in the world. And Nana happens to be the most common Ghanaian name. Like, if you meet four Ghanaians, the probability that one or two of them is called Nana is high. Got it. It's almost like so, uh, Arabic names. The most common name is Muhammad. There we go. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Nana, Nana is the Muhammad of um, Ghanaian names. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So, so that so was really why. You kind of named rice. it something so so normal for Ghana, for Ghana. It's like so normal yes. for it to be a thing. Okay, got it. Yeah. So now you sell it on your WhatsApp and you sell it on your Instagram. It sells off. Do you say, okay, now it's time to really ramp up production or do you take it slow? Yeah, yeah. so I, I did ramp up production at that point. Um, I, I sought for other people who could give me that quality. And so I moved from three smallholder farmers and I went straight up to 25. Got um, it. And in that time period, I started looking at things like better packaging and things like that. So that's really where the switch began to happen. Now, um, so I got to ask this because I know my audience is going to be like, you should have asked this question. So um, how are you running real estate and this, because these are two full-time things. <laughs> Agriculture is not like a, you just kind of set it's it in and leave it. in the park. Yeah, exactly. It's, it, there's so yeah. much factors that can play into why you can have a good batch or a bad batch. And in real estate, it's something you have to concentrate on, right? Because people can rob you or the projects can go yeah. wrong. So how are you yeah. focusing on both of these at the same time? Right. So I think that I've always, I've, I have always worked hard in that, um, I will not take that away from, from, from what we've been able to do right now. Um, and by work hard, I mean, I could probably go maybe a little more than 24 hours just working. Um, I will not advise it. And I don't think it's something I did normally 
but I just wanted to say that to give you an idea of, of what my schedule could look like. Got it. So I, 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 I'm typically up maybe five, six o'clock if I'm trying to beat traffic, get through all the real estate project sites I need to get to, and, and then um, probably get home maybe at midnight. And then the next day, if I have to leave my house at 4 a.m. to get to the farm and see what's going on before I head back, into the city. the city because again the farm was about two hours out from the city so it required me to travel quite a bit um, whenever i had to go to the farm Got um, it. but the good part i think for me was i didn't know enough about agriculture so i had to still depend heavily on two guys who lived in the township so these two guys that we hired i first of all motivated them by letting them understand that they get a portion of what what I get out of the production. And so they were motivated to make sure that the production was high enough that they also got a good enough got it. payout. And then number two was they were responsible for training the farmers and supervising them to do things the way we wanted it to be done. Because got I didn't it. want us to spend that additional $150 and then it will not come out the right way. So I, I brought them in almost as temporary partners to be able to execute on the vision. Got it. I guess as I skilled up, I then hired more people to do it more full-time for me. Got it. And then the real estate side, you had a partner there as well, the same guy who was helping you with the building as well. Yes, I had a trusted guy who I'd hired from the time I started. Okay. But okay, got I think it. that what had also happened for me was I spent more time on the real estate side. So even though this agric thing was happening, let me say I will come to the farm um, maybe every other week for about two days or so. Got it. Okay. And so... I spent more time on the real estate side in the city than I spent on the farm. Got it. Until um, COVID happened. So when COVID happened, thankfully, I managed to slow down a bit on the real estate side because what had happened was lockdown came in. We were only supposed to work on essential services work. So essential services, food was considered essential services. Sure, yeah. Real estate was not considered essential services. So it then meant I spent more time on our agriculture side of the business. Got it. Okay. Um, so now how do you get Nana's rice to market? Like, how do you get, you get it to the, do you get it to local farmers? Do you get it into real t- retailers? How do you get it to grow beyond just your WhatsApp and Facebook feed? Yeah, it's exactly that. that, that that's been some, some really hard. So again, when we, when we really ran that production, um, that was really around the, the, the COVID um, season. Mm-hmm. Um, Prior to that, what we were doing is we literally go to a retail store and try to convince the person in that store that, hey, you know what, just carry our product. Um, we do have clients, but we don't want them to always call us. We want them to be able to, want to, be able to direct them to some of these retail stores. And so we identified, we realized we're selling a, a premium product. We weren't, we weren't and we still are in the cheapest local rice brand in the market. But again, my goal was not just selling locally, but I was also to be able to export our product. And so I was always, we, we always found ourselves in communities or areas where we knew that middle class um, group lived. And then we tried to convince the retail stores in those areas to be able to stock our product. And then later we'll come back for the money. And so that's really how we continue to ramp up production on, on, on that side. Got it. So you're doing it more like a consignment, like put it in here, we'll drive traffic to it. If it sells, then you give us back the, you, you, you then we'll figure out what the wholesale cut is then. Yes. And got it. Got it. So that's still a, a, is that still a struggle for you guys to get inside of the stores? 
It is, but again, as we have continued to gain popularity, it's getting a little easier by the day. Got it. And so we have not been able to spend a lot of money on marketing, which is a challenge that we have. um, Because whenever you had a little money, you are not going to be thinking as much about um, getting a billboard as you will be thinking about increasing your production. Because again, thankfully, whenever people try the product, they really liked it. And then we always were making sure that we wanted to produce more of it. Got it. But one of the challenges that people have with small businesses is they buy the product today and when they come back tomorrow, you're like, oh, sorry, I ran out. And yeah. if that becomes the case, people will stop trying a rice and go try another rice and they may never come back. Yeah. And then so they one also, vision we had. They, mm-hmm. Because they want the consistency. What they can expect with the bigger brands is that it's always going to be on the shelves no matter what. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So we committed that once we get on the shelf or once we're in a particular store, we never want clients who now begin to swear by our rice to ever request for rice and they will not be able to get it. Got it. Now, rice, <laughs> rice is a thing that every country like eats, right? Like was there, was there a thing about rice particularly, or it just, it could have been anything to, to help yeah, you get into the agro space. Yeah. Because like I said, we didn't start out with rice. We started out with maize, cattle rearing, and then, you know, rice happened the way it did. But I'm glad it did because we have continued to innovate around rice. Like just last month, we launched a rice cereal. And this um, this December, we are hoping to come out with a rice juice as well. Mm-hmm. And, and so we're doing a lot of value addition along the rice value chain. And I'm glad we, we stuck with rice. Got it. So I'm glad it, it, it worked out with rice. That, yeah, because it's 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 also, it creates, there's so much things that you can create with it. There's like rice, like you said, rice drinks, or like rice milk. Yep. I've seen rice milk, which is kind of... Yep, rice wine. <laughs> yeah, rice wine. Because it can create yep. so much other ancillary products around it. And it's, again, it's such a cheaper grain to produce. Yep. Um, so now you you guys are here, right? And you're at this space. Did you ever get into because you said the goal is to get internationally, right? Be in the Netherlands, be in, in different parts of the world. Are you are you guys at that place where you can start sh- out shipping out to different countries? We are, thankfully. Um, I think even in our first year of production, I think in 2019, um, we did already get into Belgium, Germany. Um, and to the U.S. Um, and and, and what, what happened last year, which was great, is we shipped a, a, a sample consignment to China, mm-hmm. and they wanted to place a container load uh, order. So Whoa. very soon, we're happy to say we're exporting to China as well. That's interesting. Um, and I China, think that, that is big for us. China, which is the largest producing country of rice, is buying rice from Africa. That is awesome. Yep. yep. <laughs> that I'm is, very happy about that. That is I, great. I, I, told, I told the team that the first, the first time um, there, because there's a company that actually came and saw us about stocking it in, in Shanghai. I'm like, the first day that rice gets on those shelves, like I'm going to throw myself a party. <laughs> that is awesome because that that yeah. is that is definitely like um that guy that you spoke with is saying that you shouldn't export anything you shouldn't import True. anything in africa africa should be exporting because the soil is so good you're almost like proving that that to be true very true yeah awesome so um thank you so much for sharing your story and how you actually got there i have some questions now what do you say advice would you say to somebody who's you know they're in the states maybe they're in england maybe they're in you know holland and they're originally from a different country and they want to go back and build something what advice would you say to that person would you tell that person go would you tell them to stay where they are what would your advice be Hmm. I, i i think that um being able to 
how do I put this? I think I think there are two things um, that come to mind. One, have a have a vision, have a, have a, have a drive, have a passion for something. Um, like for me, it's always been to be able to showcase the African excellence or to be able to showcase the rich culture that Black people have. Mm-hmm. And so that has always been a driver for me. And um, number two, I think you really have to find the right people. I, I think that a lot of what we've been able to achieve today has, has been dependent on the people. Um, and, and so being able to find the right team. And I don't think that there is a, there's a magic way to do it. I think you have to keep piloting and testing out with maybe smaller things. So I, like I said, I started with three, with three, with three smallholder farmers, not 25. Um, and prior to that, I had tried with one and that didn't work. I tried with another one that didn't work. I didn't give up on the people because I knew I'll find somebody who believes with me. And I'm glad eventually I found that team. Um, and, and, and today we are, we, are, we are here where we are today. I mean, I'll, I'll give an example. Um, during COVID, um, I had to, because of, because of the level of uncertainty and what was happening, mm-hmm. um, and we were, we were shifting from real estate into agriculture, I, I ended up having to let my, my entire team know that if they continue to work, there's a possibility they will not get paid for the next three months. Wow. And this was some hard and difficult decisions to make. And not a single member of our team said, hey, Nana, I will have to go because I will not be able to do this. Everybody was like, look, you know what? I think we can do this together. Let's do it. Um, and that just speaks to the kind of team we've been able to build around what we're doing. Wow, that's such a solid team because everyone's like, you know what? We believe in the vision so much bigger than than just the immediate payout right now. Yep, yep. Yeah, that's it's awesome. Not, it's, not, it's not this entitled, it's not this entitled mindset of this is my business. It is my own. I make the money. It is how I'm going to get rich quick um, type of scheme. But I just had this bigger vision to be able to do good. And I share that with them and they buy, that, they buy into it too. Got it. Now, I got to ask you this, right? Because when before we even started this conversation, we were talking about like lights being out all day. Um, and usually I interview, uh, I interview entrepreneurs that are in the States, right? There, and me being from Jamaica, I know there is infrastructure issues. There's, you know, there's a lot of things. What are the challenges, you know, because you said a lot of these things, building real estate and agro and, you know, farms and all this. There's a lot of challenges that come with that growing and building a business in a third world country. What are some of the challenges? Because I don't want everyone to make it think it's just that easy to do what you're <laughs> doing. No, no, it's not. Um, and, I, I, and I think, uh, sorry to belabor the point, but I think it comes down to the same thing, which is what, what drives us. Um, because the challenges are along the entire value chain. Like I struggled, for instance, when we produce the rice and then we decided to start selling and we decided to do things right. Um, like we wanted to get our requisite FDA approval, Ghana standard authority approvals and stuff. Mm-hmm. That approval, instead of it taking a, a normal about three months, it took us almost two years wow. to be able to get that, that final approval. And so that, for instance, was a challenge on certification and regulation. Um, I, had, I had issues with finding the right skilled labor to do the work. And so find the right team on the farm and, and you know, hiring them making sure they are not stealing from you. That was equally a challenge. Um, um, we found we had challenges with logistics. Um, so sometimes when we harvested the produce, um, um, some of the people who own the trucks and stuff would realize that this guy is like 
it's not a local, i.e. a local in their rural area. Mm-hmm. So they, they, they price things to us a lot higher than they should have normally. And so these are, the, look, we, we struggled along the entire value chain. But I think what helped us to overcome each of these challenges, first off, we're always willing to learn. So we, 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 we kept thinking, okay, I think this is what is messing this up. I think this is what is messing that up. What can we do to change this particular situation? So I think that learning along the, 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 that entire value chain was helpful. Got it. And then on top of that as well, just that big vision we had always allowed these things to look little in comparison to where we're trying to go. That, that is so true. Because think about this, like four years ago, we were doing three, three hectares. Today, we have 4,000. That's wow. just four years down the line. Wow. So it just gives you a perspective of, I, I never looked at those challenges as unsurmountable. I felt like once we have life, you know, there's still hope. Got it. That, that's such a, such a good perspective for you to have. Um, and where do you think, because listening to your story, right? And one of the reasons why I love this podcast is because I get to sit down with someone and get to listen to their story. I, one thing I keep picking up is that you always, like, you're always, like, curious, Right. You, you yeah. with the construction, you were like, oh, that's something new. What's that looks cheaper and easier to do the, over here. This rice tastes good. Like, let me try this. You, you keep what what do you think spawns that curiosity within you to keep looking for different and new things? I think is the exposure that we have, um, you know, having grown up in Ghana, having traveled to the U.S., the U.K., China. I spent about um, a month in China. Um, I've done that about twice. And, and I think that going into some of these areas and seeing what they're doing lets you realize that you are really not all that or where you are is not all there is. And, and so I think that that consciousness in my mind lets me know that there is more that I could know than what I currently do. And I think mm. that is what has sparked that, that natural um, sense to, to learn more and to know more and to be able to do more. Even if all around me doesn't look like it's possible. Got it. And, you know, there's something that seems to be very strong as well. Like you keep saying, like, you know, although you said you said something really uh, interesting, you said, although there's life, there's a way to continue to grow. Like, where does that sense of faith come from? Hmm, I want to say maybe maybe I grew up with it. Um, I want to say maybe I grew up with that with that uh, mindset. And and I guess my experiences in, in, in life have they seem to have fed that um you know coming from a place like africa you have you typically have religious parents um, mm-hmm. and so you know you grew up i mean in my case i grew up going to church um, almost every sunday even though i didn't understand what was going on um but i think at some point um, in my life 2007 i went for some of these camp meetings um and in one of those camp meetings i feel like i got my own i got my own encounter um, with the Lord and understanding that um, my life is not just for me and that I am, I am a tool in a mastermind's hand. And yeah. I, recognize, I recognize that as I go through my days that I realize, look, there's probably a purpose to why I am this tall and there's probably a purpose to why I was exposed to the U.S. and to this location. And there's a reason why. So I, I think that very few things to me look like they are just happening. I, I realize there's a lot of intentionality with what I have to do to be able to realize more, to be able to get more out of this life. 
Got I hope it. that is not too no 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 no. I I'm I'm at that season in my life where I'm starting to realize that I like I am just a vessel to be used in a specific direction, and none of my experiences were were by mistake. You know, it was yeah, all it was all a setup. Yep. It was all a setup yep. for something bigger, and I'm very much realizing that within myself right now. Um, and 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 it, I guess it's the part of like I guess the other part for me is just the surrender because it's your mind of what you want, <laughs> and then there's a surrender of what is actually there for you to do. Um, and I guess True. I'm just at that place where it's like, all right, it's time for me to surrender and kind of go with what the bigger <laughs> plan is. <laughs> Uh, yep. that's really interesting so i'm i'm gonna wrap it up i always wrap it up with some of the same questions i ask everybody um so there's somebody right now they're driving they're listening to this podcast maybe they're on a plane maybe they're wherever they are and they're like man i hate the job i have i i i, I feel stuck i want to make a change but i'm mm-hmm. afraid to make that change what advice would you give that person discover yourself um it's it's a very strange <laughs> advice but I realize a lot of a lot of us don't know us very well mm-hmm. to know what we could do really well because there is once you're still alive there's a reason why you are um, you are not just a drop in the ocean um, and how I know this is when I moved to Ghana in 2012 there's something that I continue to do which honestly I think has fed me a lot I love I love water. Um, so I used to spend about an hour every day sitting just by the water. So I leave my house, I drive to this beach location, and I just mm-hmm. sit out there, and I typically have breakfast out there. And I sit out there for about an hour with a white sheet of paper just writing about me so or writing whatever comes to my mind. And so there I learned, like, okay, I wrote down, like, I answered questions to myself, like, what would I do for free if I wasn't going to be paid for it? And what are things that my friends say I'm really good at? So what are some of the skill sets I have? What are the things I have accomplished in my life from the time I was born till now? Um, what are some, some um, um, prophecies I have received in my life? So what are things that people have spoken over me? Like, you know, I see you becoming this one day, or I see you becoming this one day. Or I had a dream and you were here. What are some of those things that are over my life? And what's my background? I call this entire picture a personal tree. And I, I, I came up with that while I was out there on the beach, just trying to, I don't think I went there trying to know me. I just went there trying to sit with myself and hear myself a little bit more. Um, mm. So that was one. Number two um, um, for me was I did this talk taking. So there's this thing called the wheel of life where I take, there are seven different areas in my life where I evaluate who am I really? And how well am I doing in my social life? How well am I doing in my family life? How well am I doing financially? And I feel like the more and more I wrote these down and I set goals for myself, it helped shape me a lot better. And I think that once people discover who they are, they will, they will know what about themselves make them tick and what they need to develop to make what makes them tick come to reality. I don't know if what I'm saying makes sense. No, no, no. You're making perfect sense. It's like, the more inner work you did, the more you started realizing the work you could do outwardly. And because of all those reflections of what people are saying, what you think of yourself, what you would do for free, um, all of those like intakes and looking and just writing those down, you then kind of almost found your purpose and what you should be focusing on. Exactly. Got it. Because really, and and things, yeah. 
because real estate was a was a it seems like it was a vehicle I, for me talking to you it doesn't seem like that's going to be like your end result it seems like it's no. a vehicle to get you to another vehicle you know that that makes any sense yep yep, yep. because I, like things i wrote down on those mornings between 2012 and 2013 are things i find myself doing even in 2021 Mm, okay you know like yeah. I, I told myself I'll, i think i'd like to do something in the fashion industry i think i like to do something in the agri industry all these different things i think i'd like to do something along education what would i do for free i think i'll easily help people for free i'll easily have some conversations with people about how they could maximize their own life for free and i felt like the more and more i wrote these kinds of things it just a lot of things just lined up that way Got it. And and it, because you wrote it down, you wrote goals towards it. It's almost like the world and the universe and God kind of collectively comes together and pushes you in that direction. Got it. Mm, nice. Exactly. All right. Thank you. That was really, really cool. I would love to know what those seven things that like you take the stock of yourself. Like what's those seven things? Right. So I take stock of physical and health. So mm-hmm. I, I, I take stock of how, how healthy am I? I'm working out and stuff. Social life, which has to do with my friends. Um, family. Um, intellectual, um, career-wise, financial, and then my spiritual life. So these are the seven areas that I've identified. And I do this review every quarter at least. So every quarter I assess how well am I doing? And then I set three goals in each of these seven areas every single time. Got it. And then you just go every quarter to work on those? Yes. But so no, the goals I set are typically one year long. So like I actually just did this last week. So last week I set goals for 2022. So every quarter I go and review how well am I doing in light of the bigger goals we're trying to achieve. Got it. Is there is there a place where you pick this up from? And no, actually. So it was still from the same. So there's something called Wheel, Wheel of Life, um, which I read about one day. And so I've modified it to, to merge with my personal tree. But the personal tree, I got that by myself, just in my mind. In fact, I have a website called nanousuichao.com. Um, and yeah. on there, I, I, I walk people through how to get through the personal tree and how to get through the, um, the wheel of life. Because like I said, the thing that I know I would do for free really is being able to help people live their best lives. Got it. I will put that website in the description, um, guys. So if you didn't get it, I will put it in the description um, so you can go and check it out. Now, my last question um, that I like to ask everybody, the name of this podcast is H for Hustle, right? I love Mm -hmm. asking this question because hustle means a lot to different people. Um, So Nana, what does hustle mean to you? Work hard. All right, perfect. (laughs) <laughs> perfect um so i do want to say thank you so- work hard that's it um and again for everyone it's different so as i love your yeah. I, I love your definition of it thank you so much for your time thank you so much thank, for you, being- much, thank you so much for sharing your story uh it's an inspirational one i would love to follow up with you in three years or so and i guarantee sure. i think this company is going to be bigger than the last time <laughs> <laughs> yep all right so thank you so much for your time Thank you, Jerome. Thank you, Jerome. Thank you, Jerome.
And just like that, another illustrious episode is in the can. Man, guys, I, like I said, I love this episode. I learned so much from talking to Nana. I could have talked to him for another you know, three, four hours and just picked his brain on how he's able to create that, um, his company, how he's able to create what he's creating. You know, he went from real estate to agro, and, you know, th- this guy has no limits, and he's able to make this happen, guys in a developing nation. So if you think you have limitations, think about the limitations that he has. Um, and he's making it work. So, you know, my big takeaway from this episode is no excuses, you know, because this guy is getting it and making it happen. Um, you know, when we were, before we started to call, he told me that they were dealing with rolling blackouts. They had like electricity that was out and he was talking to me on his cell phone. Um, and again, that's just a part of being a developing nation. So. Guys, you know, really brilliant episode. I love this episode. I'm going to play it back like for another 400 times and just extract all the lessons that he was able to give um, in this episode. So I just want to wrap it up with the quote that I wrap it up with from the late great Nipsey Hussle. The quote goes, this game will test you. Never fold. Stay 10 toes down because it's not on you. It's in you. And what's in you, they can never take away. That's it, guys. Peace. Peace. Boom.